In this episode of Lawyer Business Advantage, I have a conversation with Lindsay Mignano of Smith, Shapurian, and Mignano about gender bias, what it is, how it's impacting attorneys, and how women can overcome gender bias to become rainmakers. Listen to powerful insights from this fierce female founder, coming up on Lawyer Business Advantage. Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, your source for biz dev tips, wisdom, and inspiration. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik. We're unleashing your inner rainmaker in three, two, one. My pleasure to uh, welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Lindsay Mignano. Lindsay is a uh, shareholder at Smith, Shapurian Mignano in San Francisco. Lindsay, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for the warm introduction. I appreciate it. You are most welcome. And uh, it was a delight to meet you at the Bar Association of San Francisco and to have known you for a few years. Um, I've been really impressed with how you've marketed your firm and how your firm has grown. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. It's very flattering. I appreciate it coming from you. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's well-deserved. And you and I have known each other for quite a while, but our listeners probably don't all know you just yet. So if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and your law firm. Sure. Um, well, listeners, my name is Lindsay. I am 35 years old. I am an owner of a small four-woman firm here in San Francisco that does a lot of corporate work for startups, um, technology companies, and small businesses. Uh, I'm originally from Hawaii. I came here to go to school uh, for college. Uh, I went to Stanford here in Palo Alto and then followed up with Hastings here in San Francisco. So I've been a Bay Area girl for at least half my life now. Uh, I live and work here in San Francisco, specifically uh, our office is in the uh, south of Market area at Spear and Howard. Um, and I'm here in the South Beach neighborhood uh, with my husband and my two cats. Uh, other than that, I um, graduated from law school in 2010. I practiced at a couple of firms uh, before starting my own law firm in 2016 uh, with my two law partners, one of whom I've known since 2007, who was my uh, first, very first friend in law school, and the other uh, who we collectively both met at our first job in 2011, I believe. Um, so we've all known each other for a while, um, and we just recently hired an associate um, with an M&A background, uh, six beer from Covington. Fantastic. That's, that's great to hear, Lindsay, and congrats on hiring the associate. I know that was something you were working towards for, for a long time now. Um, it was a long go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Finding the right person <laughs> takes a while. It does. It does. Um, and you and I have known each other for a few years. I can't even remember where we met. Uh, do you? I think we would have met at the Bar Association of San Francisco. So generally speaking, I spend a lot of time there. I'm on the uh, Barrister's Board of Directors. And for, uh, I would say the past four years, I've either chaired or vice chaired a few sections and executive committees for the barristers. So I'm always there. And I believe uh, you are quite frequently networking with us as well and um, presenting at the Bar Association. So um, I think that's kind of where we first met and got acquainted with each other. <laughs> Probably. I know you've been really helpful in uh, in arranging for me to come in and do speaking engagements for the bar. So that's absolutely. That's we love those. I we do too. And one of the ones that 
um, I don't know that I'm going to forget anytime soon. This has got to be easily my top three presentations I've ever done. Um, and that's including the workshops that I do. This was a lot of fun where we did the, the Fierce Female Founders panel. Absolutely. And I was just going to say that's been one of the most well-received CLEs at the Bar Association. They do replay it a lot. And they would like us to come in and do a recurring presentation because it's been that popular. Oh, very cool. Well, we've got to get that on calendar. I, I couldn't make the last one, but I definitely want to make the next one. Um, you should. Yeah, it was it was very well received. Everyone thought the topic and the presenter and the, you know, the moderator, which would be you, did a fantastic job. So we should really get that on calendar again. I would love to do that. Actually, you and also uh, Valerie Fenchel and Sophie Alcorn are all guests of the show. So it's it's great. It's also set off some fantastic business relationships for me as well. Um, great. So that the topic of that was really talking about gender bias and and how that really impacted not only women, but certainly with a focus on women and women law mm-hmm. firms. And so one thing I thought that was really interesting is how you have grown your firm uh, while dealing with a lot of that. And so I thought that could be our focus for our topic today, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. The first question I have is, you know, this is obviously not a CLE talk, so it's going to be a little bit more informal, but um, what do you consider to be uh, gender bias or gender discrimination? I think people have very alternate definitions, but at the very basic level, I consider it when you treat someone differently, um, whether it's intentional or not because of their gender, um, that would be to me some sort of bias. It's one of those things where I suspect uh, even if people are struggling describing it, you would probably know it when it affects you. Absolutely. My number one question to myself, um, especially because gender bias can be so... um, implicit or behind the scenes or not obvious, my number one question to myself when I'm confronting it is, if I were a man, would this have happened to me? Or if I were a man, would that person have asked me to do this? Um, And that is usually my gut test in terms of figuring out whether I'm being either stereotyped or being asked to do something that's uh, gender conforming because I am a woman. Um, and how does, or how has, I should say, how has that kind of discrimination affected you in the past? Yeah, I think we're all uh, still dealing with gender bias in 2020. I will say, you know, unlike some of the other panelists at the female uh, founders presentation, I, I haven't experienced uh, too much of the very explicit gender discrimination or gender bias. For example, I've never been not hired because of my gender. I've never been... Um, a, you know, a survivor of sexual harassment or sexual assault. Um, there has never been anything in my life that has uh, risen to the most egregious level of um, sexual or gender bias or discrimination. Uh, so for me, you know, the, what I've encountered has been much more subtle. Um, for example, one of the things that I think will always be uh, hard for me to forget is one of my reviews by an older, white, maybe mid sixties, mid fifties male partner of you know practice, uh, giving me some feedback that was something along the lines of um, that when I'm happy, I want you to be happy. When I'm not feeling good or when I'm sad, I want you to to be sad. I want you to mirror my emotions. And it was that sort of comment as feedback that he thought I could do better at um, in the work environment. Um, which would make him feel more comfortable with me if I was sort of like a reflection of his emotions. 
And I think to me, that was really insulting um, on a number of levels. Uh, and he certainly didn't mean it to be insulting. It was really more of a, a way that he thought I could better, um, you know, relate to clients or relate to other men like him. And for me, that was incredibly insulting because it, uh, it had the, the connotation that I did not have my own personal emotions. Um, that I was a puppet for his emotions and that he wanted me to be reflective of that. And I thought to myself after the review that if I were a man, if I were his male associate, would he have asked him to do the same? And maybe the answer is yes. I can't say for this person whether that would have been the same, but I can you know, say that honestly, as a woman, it did make me look twice. Um, so that's one instance. The other instances um, are also very subtle. For example, sometimes I have clients who... Um, asked me to do secretarial work as a lawyer. Um, so I, generally we serve as outside general counsel for um, smaller size businesses, sometimes companies who are working with a team of 10 and not really a great secretary. And so when a CEO asks me to, hey, can you copy and paste that into a Microsoft Word document and then put my letterhead on it and then send it back to me? Um, that's also, despite whether or not I'm, I'm getting paid hourly for this, um, somewhat insulting to me uh, yeah, just it's because not, it's mm-hmm. it's not what I do and it's, right. it's creating a relationship where I'm your help rather than your counsel and so I've been better about pushing back on those kinds of requests and suggesting that people hire secretarial staff um, even if they will say well we're, we're paying you by the hour can't you just do it and uh, you know my response that I've learned over the past four years of owning my business is that it does set up a weird dynamic between lawyer and client, which sometimes, you know, makes the lawyer look a little bit more of a secretary and, and undermines her worth. So for me, I try not to do as much secretarial or admin things. I try to have them do it themselves or hire accordingly, even when budgets are tight, because $25 an hour for a secretary is a lot cheaper than my hourly rate. I, I don't understand why more of them don't do it. Well, that's, that's a very appropriate logical argument, but you know, emotionally, they're putting you, they're casting you into a role, probably because of your gender. That's just completely inappropriate. Absolutely. And I do try to um, call out these situations when I can, when I'm in a position of power to do so. Obviously, you know, my one regret um, is that I never called out that partner back in the day for, for giving me that feedback, which was strong feedback for him. He definitely was thoughtful about it. He definitely um, was something that bothered him about working with me. And I never, I never asked him, you know, are you making me the bearer of your emotions or the reflector of your emotions? Because we have a male female dynamic and that's part of the, the dynamic that's on this team where you're my boss and I'm your female associate and I have to step to and mirror your, um, your thought processes and emotions, regardless of whether, you know, I feel the same way. Um, I never had the position of power to call that out. As an associate, um, I have regrets about not having conversations like that more frequently uh, in my youth or in my uh, coming of age as a lawyer. I think now at this point, at 35, having owned my own law firm, um, I do think I'm in a different place and a different power um, dynamic with the clients that pay me to do work for them. And I can work for them if I want to or not want to. Um, so that makes it a lot easier to call out. And it's a privilege that I've, I've come to really appreciate owning my own law firm. 
Yeah, a lot of that is now you feel like maybe you have the luxury to say no and that they would actually be lucky to work with you. And that can really, um, you know, when I got to that point uh, as a coach, that really boosted my confidence as well. And, and I expect that would happen with anyone that gets into that, into that situation. You know, a lot of this podcast is really about business development. And I would think that uh, gender discrimination could be really acute in a business development situation. You've got networking where you're trying to build relationships with people and all those people, you know, they, they may or may not take you seriously. And then you've got also potential clients um, who you are trying to sign and they would need to view you as their trusted counsel. And I would think that gender discrimination could, could really potentially sabotage efforts in both of those areas. Um, what's been your experience, Lindsay? Absolutely. Good question. You know, I will say, um, you know, our firm is very uniquely situated where we're all female women owned corporate law firm. The number of corporate lawyers who are female and starting their own practice is relatively um, on the smaller side. A lot of um, times, you know, even those who are in corporate are not necessarily working with the, the group that we are, which is, you know, venture funded um, startups and technology companies, which is an incredibly male dominated field. So it's dominated by men in terms of the lawyers that work for those men and the men that found those companies. Because as we all know, Silicon Valley has a long way to go in terms of um, promoting corporate associates to partners, uh, female corporate associates to partners in law firms over a thousand, um, as well as having women founders, you know, take the helm and, and get funded. So, you know, when I am networking, I'm networking in a predominantly male space, whether it's other lawyers or other accountants or CFOs that refer to our firm or um, clients who are generally 90 to 95% male. Um, and in, within that, um, within both spheres, um, white as well. And as a minority and a, a female, um, that can be very off-putting. Um, however, I think uh, for me, uh, I was a feminist studies major in college. I'm very aware, um, but not afraid. So um, I'm aware of the differences. I'm aware that I might stand out in a crowd. Um, but I'm not afraid to. Uh, and that's been kind of the way that I approach things like networking events. Um, I know that I might be one of the few women in the room, but I also know that I'm a really fun time. So generally speaking, um, I can get along with a lot of different people. Um, I find I genuinely enjoy talking to strangers. Um, and that's been something that has really helped me to, to business develop. I genuinely enjoy hanging out. If anything, by the end of the night, it's 11 o'clock, I can close up the bar with you and say, oh gosh, I have to go home. I've completely lost track of time. And I can really enjoy that for like five or six hours. Um, so that's been really helpful in terms of getting our firm's name out there to the, the Silicon Valley uh, service providers and network uh, that we rely upon for our referrals. Uh, that being said, I do also recognize as a woman that you know, my business development, a lot of it circulates around lunches and, and happy hours and socializing and going on trips and meeting people and, and whatnot. And I do a lot of that alone. Um, so from a safety perspective, you know, when you're coming home at 1030, 1130, after happy hour or dinner with a bunch of, you know, people that you don't know in a different city that you don't live in, I, I recognize that there are um, legitimate concerns for safety. Um, so I'm very aware, but not afraid of, of 
doing those sorts of activities. But I try to be, like I said, you know, um, conscious of, of whatever risks I might encounter. And you've, you've used this phrase a couple of times, aware but not afraid. And I think that really resonates with me and hopefully will resonate with our listeners because at the end of the day, you've done a nice job of, of doing the things you need to do, being very aware of the situation that you're getting into and are encountering, but at the same time, you know, not letting that cause you to change your tactics or your efforts, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day for us, especially when we started with zero clients and, you know, we never took a single client from any of our former um, bosses. Like, you know, we had to be open to doing whatever and whenever and going to places and meeting new people. So um, inherently as women, that's always a risk. Um, And we, I don't think any of the three of us have have shied away from that sort of of challenge. Um, But it is something we also have to do to generate business in a male industry. Yes, you do. And one of the things that uh, I'm hoping you can provide some tips to our listeners on when you are you know, fearless and you're going out there and you're doing those things. I mean, I've had clients uh, let me know, women, uh, let me know in confidence that they won't go to certain networking events because you know, people were making advances on them and stuff like that. Um, so, and I don't know if you've been in those situations, but no doubt you've heard of them. And so what tips do you have for others you know, when they're in that kind of a situation where they're out there networking and, and someone's behaving inappropriately um, to, get, to get past that and to deal with it and then to get back and get back to doing what they need to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've never been um, inappropriately groped or uh, I've never had a person come on to me um, in an unwanted way. And that's very... Uh, it's either one of two things, either I just don't perceive it, which, you know, there's, that could be one way I've, I've been told, or the other is that it just doesn't really, you know, um, happen in the, the context um, that I'm operating. And I do think that I, I do have a certain vibe that I give off when I am in a, prof- in a truly professional networking uh, capacity. Um, I, Again, have not had any experience with unwanted advances, but I would suggest, based on what I've heard from other women, <laughs> my general advice for being um, treated differently because of gender is to call it out and to say, that, hey, what you're doing makes me feel really uncomfortable. I'm not sure if you, you know this, um, but you know what you said or, or how you approached me or how you touched me made me feel uncomfortable. And I'm just letting you know that for my, for my own boundaries and for yours. And I think calling that behavior out, however awkward that may be, is always better than never saying anything because um, there are men who may unintentionally say things or do things uh, that bothers you. Um, And they could walk around the entire earth doing this to other women and it would bother them. And absent someone calling them out on it, saying something like, hey, I I don't appreciate it that you call me sweetie or honey as if I'm your daughter. Having that conversation educates them and allows them to be more self-aware about the way they're approaching women. So I think it's a, it's a good service to every woman that if you're in an uncomfortable situation as a woman and whether or not you think it's intentional by that person or not to call out the behavior and set boundaries. The other nice thing about that, is, you know, a lot of times that is unintentional. And if it is by calling it out, you will get an immediate apology, a change in behavior. And as you said, 
uh, that person won't do that to anybody else, hopefully in the future. That's one. The other benefit is, you know, some of these people are cowards. And <laughs> if you call them out on it, uh, they're going to change their behavior and no doubt apologize to you just because they're scared of a confrontation and like they've been caught and uh, you know it. And that's going to elicit an immediate behavior change. So that just leaves you know, the only group that wouldn't change behavior, those that are belligerent. And uh, that's a very different situation which is probably beyond the scope of the podcast. But um, that is fantastic advice. Just call them out, be really clear. Uh, and 99 times out of 100, I would expect that would address the issue. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a firm believer that what we teach, the same things that we teach children, um, you know, if someone's saying something to you that's inappropriate or touching you inappropriately applies all the way through, you know, being a grown up, right? Um, and I, I feel as though a lot of women um, will say, well, Lindsay, that sounds really awkward. I don't want to have an awkward conversation with, you know, a possible referral partner. Um, I don't, I think they might respect you a lot more for having that conversation. Uh, they might um, consider you a real force to be reckoned with by having the conversation rather than not, because by not having the conversation, you are conceding that you're just taking it. And I, I feel as though that's the worst position of power to be in. And my whole goal as a woman at 35, and maybe this has not been my goal for all of my life, but I think definitely now is to make sure that whatever I'm doing is empowering um, and, it, and that I don't feel as though I'm ever getting hosed by someone or something without a good fight uh, on the other side. So for me, it makes sense to call out the behavior. Yeah, it really does. Because you, know, you mentioned not getting the referral. Well, people send referrals to other people whom they respect. Right. And if, you know, if, if they're not treating um, a woman with respect, they're probably not going to send them that referral. The only way that you can turn the tables on this situation is by standing up to them, calling them out. And then that hopefully will build up the level of respect to where they will send you referrals. I could really see that happening potentially. And again, I haven't been in the situation, but if I had a person who was making a very explicit advance on me and I had called that out, not only would I not probably want referrals from that guy um, or that person, uh, but it, you know, it's, it also is, you know, a very small networking world um, in San Francisco. I would not want, you know, him or his friends to be gossiping about me um, that I take, I, I accept certain types of standards and treatment of behavior or behavior. So um, for me, it's, it's uh, regardless of the referrals or the referral potential, it's reputational. Um, I want people to think that I am someone to be respected and to someone to, um, you know, be conscious, uh, you know, of when, when they're, when they're speaking and interacting with me. And as far as clients go, you're an attorney, right? And so that's the relationship. It's client attorney. Uh, we're not their friends. We're not their, um, you know, anything else. We are their attorney. We are their counselor. We are their trusted advisor. And that's a very professional relationship that has mutual respect. Um, and it needs to be treated that way. Absolutely. And I do think, you know, that is something that's hard for, at least for our, our uh, tech arena. Because, you know, in tech and in, um, in headquarters where people play beer pong and wear t-shirts to work, everything is so informal um, that, you know, there is some informality um, some familiarity in the way that we greet each other and talk to each other. Um, so, you know, being conscious of the, the barriers 
that have to be in place in order for the attorney-client relationship to work the best um, is something that I'm cognizant of. And you and uh, the the other attorneys at your firm have done a ton of business development. You built your business from ground zero and literally bootstrapped up to where you are now as a four attorney firm in in a very competitive, male dominated uh, situation in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and then you know in tech, um, and doing a lot of startup work. So you've been through it, um, and it doesn't get any tougher than what you guys have been through. So. What advice would you give to attorneys uh, who are women who are just getting into business development and one of their areas of hesitation is they're really concerned about um, gender bias or or discrimination? Mm -hmm. Uh, And because I'm a feminist, I always have to acknowledge things, uh, credit where it's due and acknowledge where we had some help on the backside. And I think we were uniquely situated to go into this arena. Um, My husband was in venture. Tila's husband was an executive comp, I'm sorry, uh, PR and marketing for startups. And Nada's husband was an executive comp, executive compensation for startups. So we all had, um, you know, spouses who were in the scene. We had friends who, many of whom went to business school and worked in big tech. So a lot of our success with starting from zero is not truly our own. We had a network of Stanford, Cal, Cal Polytech, Santa Clara, that really Hastings that really pulled in and, and helped us get started. Um, they sent us referrals. They made introductions to huge referral partners of ours. Um, they introduced us to other VCs. So there was a lot of that that was coming into play that we cannot really claim credit for. Um, what we can claim credit for is that uh, we we all put in three thousand dollars as our initial capital contribution to this otherwise nine thousand dollar business on day zero. Um, within three months, we had approximately 25 uh, mixed flat fee and hourly fee model clients um, that were really referrals from our friends, and they were all, um, you know, seed-funded startups. And so that's how we got started. Um, I will say that the thing that helped us to grow was really meeting everyone and anyone, even the weird people, um, because the weird people know normal people and having a coffee with someone weird or strange and interactions um, isn't always a waste of time. I'll keep No, it's not what I meant, but you know, I, there are, there are people out there. Um, I call them like, like the lurkers, the ones who kind of sit in the corner and drink by themselves at a networking event that are really difficult to talk with, but um, otherwise harmless people, very nice, but a little awkward. Um, I've actually, I'll take the, you know, the, the 15 to 30 minutes and, and engage with them because, you know, um, I'm pretty socially competent. My partners are socially competent, but I recognize that not everyone is. Um, so, you know, using some sympathy, some humility, um, and going out to meet people who maybe you don't initially consider right up, you know, your alley or within a possibility of referring you business, meet them anyway. Um, because they might know people or their husbands or wives might know people that actually serve you quite well. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of incredibly targeted networking, although I know that's sacrilegious to say. Um, I do have, you know, friends who will say, oh, I only network with lawyers because lawyers give me business. Lawyers give us a lot of business too, but we meet them in all different types of ways. It's not only through the bar association. It could be, you know, um, a spouse of a friend or a cousin of a friend or, or whatnot. So I really try to go out of my way to meet everyone who is 
of, you know, of any, of any, you know, practice area or profession, if they have any interest in knowing what I do. Um, we also have a lot of online reviews. We collect our reviews on Facebook and Google Business. We've got about 50 or something now. We have to build that up, but that has also been very helpful because when it comes to hiring us with our five-star reviews versus hiring a lawyer at a big law firm who nobody's ever heard of and who has no you know, track record online, a client at that small, small stage might go with you know, direct, you know, um, direct to consumer type marketing a lot, a lot better. Now, and this is not for like the big Pandora's of the world or the Googles or the Microsoft's. We will lose them hand down only because you know, they probably want a big firm. Um, but for those people who are, are, that's not a priority at their stage at the, the seed or the series A stage, maybe they, they're more focused on cost and connection, then we would be able to market better to them with our client reviews. And then finally, I would say, um, we do a lot of um, panels with other lawyers, other accountants, other, um, you know, PEO uh, providers. And we do them not because they bring us direct business. Um, it, it's a great thing whenever that happens, whenever someone from the audience says, hey, I've got a startup and I'd like to hire you. Um, most times it's not that, though. Most times it's like the reason why we do the panel is because for one hour we get to talk about something technical and complex. Um, like I flip a lot of international companies. So like that's what I will talk about at the firm. Um, they're on panels and that gets to show the service providers that we work with at Trinet or Early Growth Financial or now CFO or uh, First Republic or whoever that we actually know what we're talking about. So for that hour panel, um, four or five of my peers who are either working the industry as service providers or VCs in a position of power to refer me business. Um, get to hear that I really know what I'm talking about and I'm able to address the questions um, that the audience is throwing at me. And that, I think for all three of myself, myself, Tila and Meta, has been one of the most helpful ways that we've done business in a non-direct way. Yeah, and you can't buy that kind of credibility. You have to demonstrate it. And, and that's what you all have been doing. So uh, I've seen you guys speak before. You're very good in front of the room and clearly that's come from a lot of practice. So. Um, Congrats on on leveraging that to your benefit. You're at an interesting point now. Thank you. And Mignano. What excites you uh, going forward about the firm? I'm really excited that we've all gotten to stay best friends. And I know that's not a business metric, um, but that is something that we worried about when we were first starting off. Um, you know, Teal and I have been best friends since like, you know, law school. And Meta and Teal and I have known each other and been best friends since, we met Meta in 2011. So, you know, for us, the friendship is always more important. Um, it's the most important. And, you know, if there are business problems, there are always friendship problems. If there are friendship problems, there are always business problems. It is hand in hand, part and parcel. And so our relationship with each other has been the most exciting thing for me because I've gotten to start off a business with two people who I absolutely admire and respect and who I fangirl over all the time and to be able to actually make money working with your friends, I think to me has been the most exciting part of this journey. I'm also really excited that, you know, we're able to offer flexibility like Tila and Nada both had babies two months apart. We're able to still work and do the things that we love and be really engaged and have uh, children um, and have interests. Uh, I have no children, but I have so many interests. 
um, have interests and children outside of the firm um, that are important to us, that we recognize are important to all of us. And that's been really something that I'm very passionate about and that I really feel like between the friendship and the flexibility um, is an incentive for us to get up every morning and do really good work because we know we could not have this kind of flexibility in big law. Um, we know that the friendship aspect is something that we can never, ever, you know, hire around or delegate. It's something that is intrinsic to the three of us. Um, so I'm really happy about that. And I'm really happy that we're at a point now in our firm relationship and friendship where we all feel pretty comfortable enough to scale um, and to hire uh, and to delegate. And, and, you know, we're excited to see where that goes, um, both from like a uh, business development perspective, but also from the evolution of our friendship um, to see how how far we can take this this uh, very still very young four year law firm um, into our you know our futures. Well, there is a world of opportunity out there for you, and and if three of you are hitting on all cylinders as you are, um, sky's the limit. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it, and appreciate your insights on a very. Uh, delicate uh, yet important topic. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That's Lindsay Mignano with Smith, Shapuri and Mignano in San Francisco. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that's a wrap. To get more episodes, webinars and free stuff, visit lawyerbusinessadvantage.com. My name is Ale Yajnik. Thank you for listening. And remember, there's a rainmaker inside everyone, including you.